We're, we're in a uh, series called Weird, but before we get into uh, the, the teaching series that we're in, we remind ourselves um, why we do what we do, and, and we do this because we want to point people towards Jesus. Our, our mission, our focus is to love people um, in extravagant ways, in ways that present themselves every day and it takes a lot of training of, of our hearts and our minds and our souls to be able to do this um, and we're not loving people just for the sake of it just say hey we're good people but we've been loved extremely well by Jesus and we want to point people to Jesus that they would run to him and see and taste that that he truly is good um, we, we have an acronym that we try to uh, live by it, and it's live love. And the acronym goes like this, the L is for look around, and we try to empower you guys and remind all of us um, that we live where we live for a reason, and there are opportunities there to love our neighbors, to get to know them, to put their needs um, before our own um, so where are you at right now? It's a, good, it's a good question to ask. And why are you there? And what opportunities do you have every day to make an impact? Um, the O is for obey. Just do it. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this during the message today. But we tend to question things. Um, and then when we question it too much, we try to find reasoning for it. And then when we find reasoning for it, kind of the initial passion and desire dies down. So we're saying obey. When you know you have to do something for that person, even if it doesn't make sense, pull the trigger. Obey. Um, incidents and situations like that tend to leave a mark on the recipient. Um, and V is for volunteer. Um, you've got something that you can give, and that's what we mean by volunteer. You've got some kind of talent um, that you're able to offer. You have some kind of ability that you were given. Um, and we would contend that it's not strictly for your own good, but it's for the good of those um, around you. So give of that. Maybe it's just an ear. Maybe it's just sitting down and listening to how somebody's day went. Um, maybe it's a meal. There are different things that, that we can share and we can um, show love by sharing those things. And finally, um, eat. Something happens over a meal. You're able to look at somebody in the eyes. You're able to maybe laugh a little um, if necessary. Maybe some tears are shed, but there's, there's some bonding that goes on when, when we live love like this. Um, I want to share real quick. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a link to a blog and when he read it he was reminded about our live love acronym and I want to read this to you guys um, maybe to give you a look of what this looks like practically um, the title of the blog is just try it and it's by a blogger who goes by the name of Lucy Miff and she starts like this impulsivity period that word most often leads us to associate it with a decision that has negative consequences. A decision that we wish we could take back, however, impulsivity to love can play out in a beautiful way. A few days ago, she says, 
I was sitting at a little coffee shop early in the morning as I waited for my car to be serviced. My iPad was out on the table, and I was busy working on writing new articles when an elderly man shuffled in. His white hair was covered in stubborn tufts seeming to take on a life of their own. I believe he must go there regularly as he was greeted with polite familiarity by the staff, which he returned quite cheerfully. Watery blue eyes scanned the display cabinet, and although the prices were all displayed, he began to ask for some of the prices. His thin thin lysed face crinkled, and the answers that my gut tells me he has heard many times before. He shook his head and muttered about how expensive they were. Eventually, he settled on malted milk. I began to pay more attention to this old man. His boots were in fair shape. His flannel shirt was at least two sizes too big, with the seams draping down past his shoulders. His track suit had seen better days with stains over most of them, and the fabric was thinning in parts. I I wondered if he had chosen milk in an effort to quench thirst and hunger all at once. Would he have lunch later today? When I sat down to dinner last night, what did he sit down to? I waited until he was seated and then slipped up to the counter and quietly handed them money. Please give them the things he wanted from the display cabinet. The young girl serving me was quite taken back and her response was, Oh, you don't have to do that. I just smiled and said, You're right, I don't have to. I gently pushed the money towards her, smiled some more and said, Thank you. A few minutes later, I buried my head back in in my writing when I heard an exclamation of surprise. Whoa! He woed a few times, and although my back was to him, I could hear the smile on his face. Well, I'll be, is all he could say. It made me smile and even brought a tear to my eye. It wasn't complicated, and the payoff, a little joy and happiness that put a smile on his face, was priceless. Can you imagine what it would do in our society if we all took the time to perform even one act of love while expecting nothing in return. So here's my challenge to you. Just try it. Share a few kind words with a stranger. Sit down to have a meal with a friend. Give someone a gift they weren't expecting. Or better yet, give a gift to someone who might not even deserve it. Loving like this will change your entire outlook on life and it could change our entire society. So just try it. One act of love at a time, one person at a time, one smile at a time. I think that does a good job of summarizing this Live Love acronym that we live by, this Live Love acronym that you see on our cards when we do something around the city, whether it's our partnership with the Dallas schools, or maybe you take a look at the wall over there. But what if that is a way to make an impact in our city. What if that's the way that we make an impact in our neighborhood? What if that's the way that we make an impact where we work? Um, So the challenge from the author of this blog, she says what? She says, just try it. Um, This is a graphic that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. For some of us, we've kind of grown to like it a little bit. And for others, we've kind of are moving towards hating it. Um, Because when we look at this graphic and I ask the questions that we've been asking, um, I think sometimes we feel a little bit of a burn. Um, And here's where I'm going. This is how I want to lay it out this morning. 
Think about how long you've been living where you live right now. Just personalize it completely. And, and where you live is right there, right in the middle. And if you're about to move into a new place, um, then put yourself in the context of how long you've been at your longest address. How long you've been there. So think about a number. Months, years, whatever it is. How long have you been at where you work at? Near where you go to school? And these are the questions that we're asking regarding this graphic is, how many folks' names do you know who live next to you? Like, can you say first name and last name for eight people around you? Because you've kind of grown a relationship with them, and now it's not just Bob, but it's Bob Smith. What about your neighbors? Whether you've been there for a month or for years, have you had opportunities to reach out and to get to know them by name, first and last name, if possible. And think about how many of these you could fill out. You're in the middle, this is your neighbor. The second question we're asking is, in those contexts of where you work and where you live and where you've been these last couple of years, is for those same people, how many of those folks, do you know something that goes beyond superficial? Beyond their first and last name? For how many folks can you share something about their life that you know over a conversation? So it's not just the guy who has a beard and drives the black SUV, but maybe it's Bob Smith, who's an attorney and he used to live in LA. So again, personalizes for you for how many of those folks can you fill in for number two and then for number three we go a lot deeper same context again your neighbors or where you work you know their name you know something about them um, that goes a little bit more than just superficial uh, that you can observe superficial and then for number three is for how many of those folks have you had an opportunity to sit across a table maybe over a drink, over dinner and dig in a little bit deeper and ask them some really meaningful questions? What are your fears? What are your spiritual beliefs? I have none. They're this. Talk to me about it. What did their dad do? Is their dad around? Do you know anything about their grandparents? So when we see this graphic, I've had several conversations. We've been talking about this for five weeks where people feel a little bit of a burn and have commented to me is I feel like I'm so far off and I have so much work to do. And I would contend that that's a really good feeling. Here's the thing though. If this is the feeling we're having, then we know there are opportunities to progress, Right? There are opportunities to digress as well, but I don't think that anybody in here would say, I'm good where I am, I'm just going to let it remain like this. And what we're trying to do is to have people who are in our lives, who have been in our lives for years, and we're trying to move from stranger to acquaintance to eventually a friendship. Because relationships should be progressive, right? And, and we get this whole idea from... 
Jesus. We're calling this series weird because after many conversations, it seems that a lot of us are struggling. When we look at that graphic and we try to place ourselves there and we look at how long we've been in these environments and these contexts and we're like, wow, I, I really haven't made a lot of effort. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that we should love our neighbor as ourself. It's not my opinion. It's not how I think life will work better. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And not only does he say that, but he says, look at this book. It's called the Bible and there are 60 plus books in there. Old Testament, New Testament. There are some songs, there are some poems, there are some prophetical writings, there are some, there's a lot of information in there. He says, but I want to lay this out before you. Don't drown in it. He says, the most important command is to love God. And the one that is equally as important is to love your neighbor. So could there be some weight? Could there be some power to doing life like this? What if this is the way that we're truly fulfilled? By seeing who is around us already and how we can do life with them and how some kind of infrastructure is built to where we care for them. But not only that, but here's the beauty of it. We're cared for by them. That's what Christ says is the way. So if he says to love, then we must understand what love is in the first place, right? And love according to the context of this verse that we just saw comes from a Greek word and it's pronounced agapao, which is a kind of love where you put others before yourself. It's about the welfare of others before your own. It's not an easy kind of love and that's why it takes a daily hitting rewind going back to how well we've been loved and moment by moment looking for opportunities. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. There's love that feels kind of like butterflies. There's love that when you receive a gift, it puts a smile on your face. There's a love that, 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 that makes your, your skin kind of get some goosebumps. That's sweet. But the kind of love that Jesus Christ is talking about that we should have for each other, like me for you and you for me in this way too, it's almost a countercultural kind of love. It's a you before me kind of love. It's your needs before I satisfy my own. And that's why it's so tough. So my hope is for all of us, including myself, that as we continue to go through these series, that we do see progression. Because we know that the definition to insanity is seeing how things have been done and continue to do them, but expect a different result. That's the definition of an insanity. I can't fill in any of this stuff, but I'm satisfied. I'm just going to continue to do the same thing, see if one day something changes. Nothing is going to change. What if you're sitting here for a reason this morning? What if here you're being empowered by what Jesus says to go out and do and make an impact? So the title for today's message, in case uh, you're taking notes on your smartphone or on a note card, um, is this, bit by bit. 
use what you've got. We pray that Jesus would speak to us this morning and that he would use uh, my words to give some clarity to what he has spoken already. So here's my, my opening statement. Is that we tend to live in a culture and a society where we are mesmerized by big, by the glitz and the glamour and we love the big splash and we kind of like are attracted to those things. And when we see things that are small and forming, we tend to say, ah, blah, there's nothing there for me. We, we, we tend to love the sparkly, shiny, big massiveness. And despise things that are growing. And I think that sometimes that can become a huge obstacle in what Jesus says to love our neighbor. Sometimes we say, we might ask, can love really change? Like if I were to love my neighbor this afternoon in some way or sometime this week, could that really make an impact? I mean, if I were to go over there and knock on his door and give him a gift, what, what is that going to do? So this mindset and mentality that we're around a lot of massivity and bigness and splash and glitz and glamour, it almost drowns out the ability to focus and say, I'm just going to start by loving bit by bit. Maybe it's the guy, right? Like what I shared a little bit earlier at the coffee shop who all we have to do is be a little bit sensitive. But what is it going to do, Poyo, if I buy the guy a bran muffin with a latte? He can't even say latte, Poyo. He doesn't know what a latte is. And then we tend to drown ourselves in the, does he even deserve it? And that's like the pinnacle of cynicism and narcissism. Do they deserve it? I don't know them. What if I never get a high five? What if nobody knows what I did? There's a lot of sadness in that mentality. So the hope is that we would be drowned in how much God loves us today. That that would be what compels us to love. And a great question is, well, how do I even know God loves me, Poyo? I'm serious. I'm like kicking tires this morning and asking, how do I know He loves me? Look at my life. cosmic and distant he doesn't hear me when I speak he doesn't give me what I ask let me remind you that the God who speaks to us this morning is a God of love he's a God who says look out in Romans chapter 1 and he says look at the creation look at the clouds and the sky and the birds and the trees he says I'm taking care of you and creation speaks of my glory and wonders he says look at the person sitting next to you they're not perfect but look at the beauty there my creation made to reflect me 
He says, look who I've placed around you. Look how well I take care of you. Look that you can walk over your fridge and say, not this, but this. Or maybe not that, but this. He says, those are all ways that he loves us. Look at the people in your life who care about you just a little bit. And I bet that there are people who care about you a lot, but just the ones who care for you about, a, about you a little bit. Look at the person who might sit next to you and just hear you cry, or you just are able to like vomit all of your problems on there. That's God speaking. Look at the person who sent you a text and said, Hey, I'm thinking of you. How's life? Look at the person who went shopping with you, maybe just hung out with you a little bit. Maybe the person who drove you over there or sat down and had a meal with you and that's all you wanted. You didn't want answers, just some company. That's God loving us. And I would encourage every single one of us to hit rewind often and not despise those small things. To not be so involved in the massiveness of when he shows up like this, then I'll feel loved. You got a seven and a nine year old, and honestly, there is no massivity that we're able to give them. They've got a home where they sleep, and they've got food, and they've got a mom and a dad who love them and hug them and just look at them and say, Spend some time with me. Here's where I'm going with that. They've never looked at me and say, Is that all you've got for me, dad? Ever. Ever. But sometimes we despise the small things. And that tends to suck the life out of us to be able to give over here. Does that make sense? If I don't know how scandalously I am loved by God and how relentlessly he pursues me, then why would I have any motivation to go and give? He just gave me a little bit. I've just got leftovers. So that's what we're chatting about today. How do we use what we've got today? How do, wait, how do you use what you've got today to be able to make an impact where you live, where you've lived for years, or where you're going in a couple of weeks? How do you start there? How do you do that at work where you've worked for a few months or worked for a few years or where you're going to work to a new place in the next couple of weeks? How do we take what we've got already, what he's gifted us with already. Bit by bit, there's a beautiful story in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Can I invite you to read that on your own? To download an app called The Bible App. It's free. It'll take you 60 seconds maybe to download and you go to the book of John chapter 6. It'll take you maybe... Five minutes to read. So here's the context of the story. The Son of God, Jesus, is going from town to town. And what the Son of God is doing is he's teaching people. He's healing people. He's loving people. And guess what? People are seeing him do stuff that has never, ever, ever been done before. And people are like, attracted to him and the small group becomes a bigger group and that bigger group becomes even a bigger group and then that group becomes a crowd that's following him and the story tells us that he comes to a hillside 
So he's at the top of the hill, and there are people just wanting to hear and listen and receive what he's doing. They've seen him heal people who were sick. There was a dead guy who was in a tomb, and he spoke, and the guy walks out of the tomb. Mind-blowing, right? Just chew on it a little bit. There's a woman who's been uh, sick for 12 years, has seeked all of the physicians that she can, has spent all of her money. She touches Jesus, he's healed. People want some of Jesus. They see the goodness. They want to run and see and taste that he truly is good. So this is the context of John chapter 6. It's getting late. He's been teaching. The friend invites the friend and the friend invites the neighbor's friend. They're all here listening. He's still talking. Perhaps people are taking notes or tallying while he's talking. They're amazed. They're mesmerized by his words. Not by the glitz, not by the glamour. By his words. Living words. That give life and that cut somehow in here. And Jesus notices a need. He says, people are hungry. And he calls one of his best friends, known as disciples, and says, hey, get some food for these folks. And he looks out into the crowd and he says, there's at least 5,000 men out there. You know, just kind of calculating. That's pretty massive, about 5,000 men. That's not counting women or children. So let's throw a ballpark figure of 12,000 people sitting out there. And he's like, where where'd I get food for 12,000 people? We can't cater from any place. We don't have money to do it. There's a need. What do we do? And then the story goes on to tell us that there's a little boy. We don't even know the name of the little boy. How insignificant, right? How tragic a story. We don't even know the name. But is it insignificant? Is it tragic? You know what the boy hears? The need. There's people who are hungry. Mom maybe packed him up his little basket with some fish and with some bread. So here you go, son. Go. Eat. Enjoy. And the little kids, they're listening to the words of Jesus. The disciple, one of Jesus' best friends, finds out that there's a little boy in the crowd carrying a little basket with some fish and some loaves. He's like, can we grab that? And the little boy's like, here. I'm going to give you what I have now. So insignificant because this is like my meal. And maybe I was going to share with the person who I came with. And this is where we see beauty occur. Is that the story goes on to say that Jesus Christ grabs the bread, and the fish. He prays to his father and all of a sudden that fish feeds every single person that's there and then there are leftovers. How, Poyo? I don't know. My job is to read, to chew on, and to let the Spirit do something in me. The boy just gave what he had. We don't need expertise to be able to love our neighbor. I'm sure that every single one of us could say, I could love if I had more time. I could love if I had more money. I could love if life was a little bit better. We don't need to be experts. You can make an impact where you are now, today. That place that you've been at for years or where you just moved into a few days ago. 
expertise is not required. Here's what I've got. Take it. Use it. The boy demonstrates this love that we've been talking about for five weeks. I got Powell kind of love. The needs of others before self. Here's what could have happened in this scenario. This is my lunch. You guys figure out how you're going to feed every single person out there. But we see a love that is the welfare of others before myself. I'm just going to trust. You're asking for it. Here you go. Seems so insignificant. A couple sandwiches? Really? There are thousands of people out there. But I'm going to give. I'm going to trust. Maybe some of us need to learn to trust. Easy? Nope. No. Maybe some of us just need to be saturated a little bit more in His Word and just believe. And the good that can come, that insignificant can go to significant. So, put this in the context of where you work, of where you live. What do you have right now that you can offer already? I mean, do you like to watch sports on your TV? Do you, watch, do you like to watch Netflix? What, you, what if you, instead of sitting there by yourself, having a pity party because you're lonely, what if you go and knock on your neighbor's house and you say, hey, you want to come over? That's weird, Poyo. It is. It is, absolutely. But the obstacle is this insignificant thing that I've got to offer will never do anything. And then we don't even take the first step. Do you see how tricky this all is unless we trust? I've got a bag of Doritos, Pollo. That's all I have. Offer it. Maybe you like to read books. Hey, neighbor, picked up an extra copy. Just wondering if you might want to read this with me. Just wondering. There might be rejection. Man up, though. That's life. Maybe you like to cook or bake. Hey, look what I made you. Oh, what the heck are those? I'll teach you how to make them. Why don't you come over next Thursday? Every single one of you has something to offer right now. Expertise is not required. You don't need to go get certification. Hang it on your wall and say, now I can go love my neighbor because when he asks how I got this ability, I'll be able to prove to him. What if that thing that you believe is insignificant can be used right now? What if people get to know you by how you love them? The boy gives up his fish and everything changes. Don't miss that, please. Everything changes. The crowds are now eating. They are seeing a miracle in front of them. The fish keeps coming out of the basket that had a couple of pieces and a few loaves and it just keeps coming. 
And it's really interesting because as I study this, a bunch of theologians have looked at this and they say, where's a miracle? How does a miracle occur? Does a fish fall from heaven and everybody all of a sudden has a sandwich in front of them? No, they're just walking around with baskets and it keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and it never runs out to the point that there is leftover. What if in what you might consider insignificant, the miracle is there already, but you haven't cared to do this, so you will never see it multiply. You will never see it bless. Just a question. What if? All of you guys are extremely educated. That's why I throw out those seeds. What if? What if we trust? He says that our work is to believe. That's the work I've given you, to believe. No religious hoops to jump through. Just believe, receive, chew on it, swallow, digest, go and do. When we white-knuckle what we've got, we will miss opportunities. And that white knuckle, I'm talking about love and time, namely. I'm not even worried about tangible stuff right now. I'm not talking about your money. I'm not talking about your Netflix. I'm not talking about your iPod or your running shoes or your baking skills. I'm just talking about time and love. When we white knuckle that and we say, I just don't have enough, we will certainly miss what he is able to do. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we just don't want to even risk it because we've been hurt in the past. You ever been there? Somebody's taken advantage of you, of your goodness, and then walls come up? And you're like, let them prove themselves first and then I'll give a little bit of slack. Let me remind you in a very loving way that God picks us up in all of our junk, in all of our mistakes and mess-ups. And He doesn't say, Son, get your act together first and then I'll come back and provide, throw you to the side. Do you see the beauty of that? As you are in all of your brokenness, I give. Be ready and willing. And when we do that, it'll look extremely weird. It's going to feel weird to you. Especially if this is a new journey you're on. It's going to look extremely weird. Doesn't make sense. They don't deserve it. Why would I? Some of the most common things. But it's weird because it's such an anomaly. But he promises, he says, it'll work. He says, Poyo doesn't say it'll work. Poyo is just communicating what Jesus said already. He says it'll work. You want to be fulfilled in relationships? Be weird. You want to have satisfaction? Be weird. You want to find that thing that you've been looking for be weird 
Maybe it's around you already, but it seems so insignificant for you to take that first step that you're just white-knuckling, keeping it in your pocket and saying, oh, well, let it come to me at the time that it comes. I don't know if there are any baseball fans in here. I am not a baseball fan. I'm Mexican, so I like a little bit of soccer. A little bit. But this guy goes by the name of Cal Ripken Jr. And what I'm showing you here is a picture of a day when he broke the record for playing the most consecutive games. He holds the record. The record was in play for 50 plus years and nobody ever thought it would be broken. And on... September 6, 1995, he played his 2,131st game. He kept keeping on. He just showed up to do what he had to do for that day. He played for 17 consecutive years. He played with ankle injuries, with knee injuries, with hand injuries, with colds. Many commentators said his career is over. This guy should just give up. And you know what he kept doing? Just keeping on. He knew that he had a job to do, so he just showed up faithfully every day with what seemed insignificant to many. He said, I'm here. One more day. What if we just keep keeping on with what you've got already? In the place that you're at already, in the place that you just moved into or in the place that you're going or in the place that you've been, what if we just keep keeping on? What if we stop believing the lie that if you just continue to sit there and do what you've done, the past something will change? We're way too smart to believe that just one day I'll wake up and it'll all be different it doesn't happen that way but we've got the words of the creator capital C underscore highlight if you want to with red he says love he says love your neighbor like yourself Leaving a significant mark in this world will take time and effort and passion and energy. Let me pose it like this. There is nothing that you or I can do in this world that will leave a mark that will not take time. There is no movement that has ever happened that did not take time and effort and energy and passion There is no movement that you can point back to and say this happened from sundown to sunup. What if God could use a group of people like Love in Motion to change our city? Again, I throw it out there. What if? What if He could take what appears to be insignificant and turn it into significant? But let me pause there for a moment. It's not about love and motion. 
It's about you. It's about what He's done in you already, what He's creating in you daily. Take a risk. Keep keeping on. Your love for others will be very weird. But somehow, it works. Here's how I'll finish today. This is the best news of all. Is that in the midst of your hurt and your pain today, which we are all hurting and we are all in pain and we all have doubts about stuff and we're all confused and we're all waiting for something. Common ground for all of us. Nobody in this room holds their head up a little bit more and says, I got it nailed down. I'm good. So here's the best news for all of us. is in the midst of your hurt and your want and your lack and your pain, he says, you are mine. He says, you are mine. The creator of the world says, there is no rebellion in you, no hurt and no pain in you that can surpass my love. The only way that will mean something is if we acknowledge how good those words are despite all of the brokenness and all of the failure and all the pain that we've caused and that has been causing, despite all that, this morning he says, my love is so relentless that I pick you up. He says that right now at this moment, I rejoice over you. There's a book in the Bible called Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. He says, I sing over you with gladness. That will only mean something to us if we grasp the massivity of God, the creator of the world, looking down on us and saying, you are mine. I love you right now, today, and I am well pleased with you. There's beauty in that. Jesus, thank you for meeting us where we're at today. Give us the boldness and the courage just to believe. Work through us, even though it looks weird. It's all about you. In your son's name, amen.